0: Hooray.
1: Welcome, friends, to Voices of the Sacred Feminine, whether you're across town or across the globe. And I hope you like that little snippet uh, opening tonight's show, A Warrior Goddess, by Lisa Thiel. If you're new to the show, I'm your hostess, Karen Tate, Um, honored to uh, have been named one of the 13 most influential women in goddess spirituality and a wisdom keeper of the goddess spirituality movement, no doubt uh, in large part because of this uh, very radio show you're listening to. I want to thank you all uh, for tuning in and taking your valuable, uh, very valuable time uh, to be with me tonight. Uh, and if uh, you didn't know uh, I'm also uh, a life coach so uh, if you're ever in need of that kind of assistance uh, to maybe get your uh, life on track uh, I do uh, have a couple openings and uh, I do it via Skype uh, so we don't have to actually sit down face to face I'm also the author of a few other books uh, Sacred Places of Goddess 108 Destinations I think the title speaks for itself Uh, Goddess Calling, uh, offering inspirational readings uh, about why goddess uh, is relevant today. And, of course, the anthology uh, based on uh, the guests who I've interviewed on this radio show, uh, the anthology called Voices of the Sacred Feminine, Conversations to Reshape Our World. And also, uh, Walking an Ancient Path, Rebirthing Goddess on Planet Earth. Uh, So those are some of my claims to fame, uh, if you will. Uh, tonight, I have some great guests for you. Uh, returning to the show is Roberta Cantau, uh, film and documentary maker, discussing the next phase for her trilogy on women's mysteries, titled uh, Blood Time, Moon Time, Dream Time, and the added segment, Birthing the Crone, Aging into Full Creativity, uh, with the artist uh, Helen Redman. Uh, Blood Time, Moon Time, Dream Time uh, will be participating in the Culture Unplugged Film Festival. This year, with uh, their socio spiritual mission. We'll talk about how the trilogy came to be, uh, the style of the work, and the elements that tie it all together, and what it takes for a filmmaker to to get work in this genre into the public arena. Something you'll definitely want to learn about. Uh, And I've seen Blood Time, Moon Time, Dream Time, and uh, I can't uh, recommend it highly enough. It's one of those things you definitely want in your library. And tonight, uh, my second guest is uh, Leah LaFleur, uh, grassroots organizer and leader of Bernie PDX. She'll be reporting uh, here on the show, uh, spilling the beans, if you will, about what it was like being a delegate for Bernie at the DNC last week. You know, we've all heard the rumors. Uh, Now you can hear her firsthand perspective from being there in the thick of things. Uh, And, you know, I'm going to try to ask her to separate truth. Uh, from the fiction of both social media and Main Street Media because, uh, you know, it's it's really kind of hard uh, to, to uh, vet the material you hear, uh, even on Main Street Media today because uh, it's so biased. Also, uh, if you stick with me throughout the whole show, you will uh, hear the contributions from my roving reporter, Pat. Uh, she's reporting on Uh, North Carolina's voter ID law uh, targets African Americans. Uh, Also, Malawi girls take self-defense classes uh, to combat uh, widespread sexual violence. So, uh, interesting stuff uh, going on out there in the world, Uh, you know, we'll uh, talk about that, uh, as well as, you know, when we talk to Leah, you know, there's been articles out there in social media uh, talking about, uh, you know, did the DNC really achieve unity or, you know, or was it through forced conformity or manufactured consent? Uh, which was uh, one of the headlines in uh, uh, the blog uh, Common Dreams. So anyway, um, stay with me tonight, and uh, you uh, will hear it all. So uh, first up, uh, as I said, is Roberta Canto, and uh, I want to say hello to her. Hi, Roberta. You there with me?
2: Hi, Karen. Yes, I am.
1: <laughs> Great. I am uh, thank you. Thank you so much for for coming back on the show and updating us. You know, I I remember when I first saw uh, your trilogy, uh, Blood Time, Moon Time, Dream Time, uh, I really enjoyed it. You know, people send me a lot of books and they send me a lot of DVDs and things. And uh, and I, I do my best to try to... You read them all and uh, watch them all or listen and uh, yours really stood out for me you know um and uh, i I want to just you know say that and um you know it, it it's one of those ones that I really do believe we should have in our libraries as you know women try to um, you know reclaim a better relationship with their sacred blood And but I think what I really liked about your documentary too was it went places that um, other people might not go when we talk about you know menstruation and things like that and it really got into how um, you know we should incorporate our brothers and our fathers into this whole part of a woman's life and uh, I I, I like that you had the courage to go there, and I, I wonder um, what inspired you to add that to part of the story.
2: Oh, I'm glad you mentioned that because actually um, I had kind of forgotten it. It, it. That's a good question. You know, um, well, doesn't it make sense? I mean, here here we are, you know, trying to evolve, and I don't think we can do it um, if it's only women evolving. <laughs> True. So, I mean, so it was just maybe an instinct to, and I don't do it throughout the film, but there are places where I bring men in, and and there were always occasions when the men wanted to be a um, they wanted to participate, or they were sharing an ex, an experience of their having participated,
0: um, right. not in a,
2: an absolute way. And, in fact, there was one case where a man was discussing his daughter's coming-of-age ceremony and got to a point where he was acknowledging that there was a part of the ceremony that he could not participate in, and it's not that he felt excluded but he was just recognizing that you know right. he did not belong there and, right
1: right well and, so, and and you know and and you i think you kind of said well gee didn't doesn't it just seem logical to include men and you know and i think that way too you know i think if we expect men to see our bodies as sacred to see menstruation and our sacred blood as something sacred you know they're not going to get it through osmosis you know if if we don't teach them they will not learn it's almost as if we have to Sort of frame the narrative. Uh, otherwise, you know, they just learn what they hear in the schoolyard, so to speak, right. or what they get via rumor. And um, I think it's really a gift to them to help them. Um, help them find their way uh, as well. You know, I get so tired of hearing women say, oh, well, we can't include men because men just don't get it. Well, you know, they're never going to get it if we don't take them under our wing and, and, uh, and teach them. You know, it, it's I don't know. To me, it's pretty simple.
2: I think the film as a whole, and let me just mention, the film is called Blood Time, Moon Time, Dream Time, But it has a subtitle, which is Women Bringing Forth Change Um, And so That's the umbrella title Under which the three parts Of the trilogy um, Exist, so you know There are three parts, and each Part has its own title Which we can talk about in a minute But um, Yeah uh, um, I I guess I just Want to um, say that What you said is true, and that is Um, you know there's even a a, a segment in the film where a young woman she's you know reporting on when she got her first period and how it was a secret and you know she didn't want her little brother to hear when she was reporting to her mother that she got her period and um, that's part of that that's part of the story that we're talking about it's a secret because we don't think the boys will understand and <laughs> and it yeah. is perpetuating the whole, the same old story
1: right the, right right i go ahead well i well it you know reminds me of a time I remember back when I was in grade school um and uh, we were rehearsing for uh, a talent show. We were backstage. Uh, it was it was girls and boys. We were you know we we were back behind the stage where they had a lot of stuff stored, and you know the kids were getting antsy and they started digging through boxes and they found a box of Kotex, and I will never forget the, um, the, the you know I was mortified I felt so ashamed and I could tell all the other girls did too because the boys were pulling them out and yelling and screaming and throwing them around the room and you know they didn't know any better you know they were you know probably 12 years old but it's that sort of thing that uh, we could avoid in the future you know
2: well, yeah. As long as something is hidden, it's never going to be understood.
1: Right. 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 So, um,
2: the the three parts of the trilogy basically are Blood Time, which is um, examining. It's called the the subtitle of Blood Time is claiming the territory. The territory is the meanings and metaphors of blood. All the different ways that we either accept or reject imagery of blood. And isn't it interesting that we're very accepting of, you know, on some level, the images of blood that we see in movies, the violence, the horror, the vampires, even in medicine, the images of blood, but so unaccepting of women's blood. So that's what's explored in the first part. Uh, the second part is. Uh, moon Time, Celebrating the Blessing, where there's more of a discussion about, you know, ent- girls entering into womanhood, and um, Laura Owen talks in that segment. Um, she's the author of Her Blood is Gold, uh, so it goes back and forth between Laura's commentary and other elements. Uh, referring to the coming of age monarchy as a blessing, not a curse, and then the third part um uh, dream time is really the most spiritual segment, although spirituality runs through all three segments um, mm-hmm. but it the um dream time refers more to the elder uh crone stage of life um Nearer to death, uh, therefore, you know, cl- more of a need to examine um, deeper aspects of life and death. And the subtitle for that one is Creating Art and Ritual. So it's all the different ways that women are making meaning uh, out of the various life passages, uh, some sillier than others, some very serious. Um, And that's what makes up the whole trilogy. I'm very proud that that it's being shown, actually, at this time on Culture Unplugged. It's not up today, but they're rotating the films um, just because Culture Unplugged has the focus of, um, let's see, I'm reading from their website, a free service offered to global citizens aspiring for an enlightened future.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and isn't, uh, so, isn't that what we yeah. need to aim for—an enlightened future? Uh, you know, we we feel like—I uh, don't know about you, but if it it, it it feels like we're in such danger of going backwards right now, <laughs> um, boy, do we need enlightenment in a bad way in well, so many areas?
2: I'm gonna put in a plug for this festival. I mean, it's on online. It's free. It's available to anybody who wants to watch it. They have several different categories some of the films seem absolutely fascinating um at cultureunplug.com and um they've been on for ever since i think 2008 with these uh rotating different um initiatives each year this is a different initiative this year but they're all very interesting films and they're films that don't often get shown in film festivals because they're off the beaten track <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. Because the only thing, uh, you know, the only thing the uh, mainstream world wants to play, uh, you know, are, are X Men and you know, blood and guts and gore and violence and these these independent things that are really so much more meaningful. Uh, unfortunately, end up with a shorter uh, or smaller with a smaller audience. Um, but but Roberta, you're you're so modest. Um, I I want to toot your horn a little bit. Uh, let me share uh, you know your bio with uh, with the audience and uh, you know give them a sense of uh, the quality work you do just from your bio. Um, you were recognized with your first grant uh, from the American Film Institute while still a graduate film student at NYU. Through the years, the New York State Council on the Arts, the National Endowment for the Arts, the New York Foundation for the Arts, and others provided grants for the completion of four film works. Uh, you received a New York Area uh, Emmy for your film Clotheslines about the symbolic and artistic role of laundry in women's lives. Uh, Your films and videos have garnered uh, several best of category citations uh, in uh, film festivals around the world as well as an award of excellence uh, for Dreamtime in 2008. have to turn the page here. (laughs) Uh, Also an award uh, for Not a Still Life, uh, both in the documentary category from the accolade competition. Uh, Your work's been exhibited in many of the venues for independence, including a presentation in the Cineprobe series of the Museum of Modern Art in New York City. Uh, Your four 16 millimeter films were selected for archival uh, preservation by the uh, Donald Media Center, New York, in 2001, and all your work will be housed in the Sophia Smith Women's History Collection of Smith College in perpetuity. You know, that's that's a pretty incredible body of work, huh?
2: Uh, Thank you. and i just now finished another film called accordion's rising which is um of a different nature but i i'm still following my heart
1: yeah absolutely well and and i want to get to uh you know update uh you know the the blood time moon time dream time because uh you have a bonus disc uh that uh comes with the trilogy, but but let me ask you, how do you, before we go there, let me ask you how you pick your material, because this is so interesting, Clotheslines, about the symbolic and artistic role of laundry in women's lives, and now you, you just did this accordion piece, and you've done this Blood Time, Moon Time, Dream Time, you know, do you just do things that inspire you, or how do you pick your projects?
2: It's a good question. The opening line of this film, Accordions Rising, is um, I'm I'm often attracted to the misunderstood. So I think that fits the bill, really, for Clotheslines, Blood Time, Moon Time, Dream Time, and Accordions Rising. I mean, when I was making all three of those films and describing them, it, it My descriptions were often met with, you know, rolled eyes, you know, like, well, why would anybody want to make a film about laundry? You know, it gets so uninteresting. But I did find something interesting about it, and what was interesting to me was the realization that these clotheslines, mind you, that was in the early 80s that I made that film, when you still could see quite a few clotheslines, both in the inner city, and you know, in, on the in the landscapes of the countryside and whatnot, um, that they embodied—they were emblematic of the unseen work of women—and so that's what I set out to explore. Yeah. So, in yeah. that case, you know, the film is looking at um, the pain, the isolation, the drudgery, but also the uh, the. Creativity, the artistry. People would hang clothes on a line, to, you know, to show off what they could do with, and hang them by color, and hang them by design, and you know, it so was. They were sending out their works of art to the world yes. every day.
1: They were making um, this mon- mundane chore. Uh, kind of artistic expression. It sounds like
2: exactly, exactly. And and so there's a variety of things that are expressed in that film. The the range, the range of feelings and and attitudes hmm. and camaraderie between the women, as as well as um, what once took place. You know, where uh, the women would converse across the clothesline lines mm-hmm. and tell. In, you know, pass on information of the neighborhood, et cetera. It, it, I, I mean, it is a historical document. I think that that is happening less today, although there's also today a movement to remove the ban on lines that exists in cities and in homeowner associations, uh, primarily for the um you know with with the idea of saving the planet for the energy from the standpoint of the usage of energy
1: right right yeah. so
2: you know it's kind of come around full circle and the film is still viable today i mean not only are people still purchasing it and interested in it but you know what it has to say is still viable
1: well, you know, it it reminds me of, I mean, you, the phrase you use, the unseen work of women, and you know, that's kind of a familiar theme, at least in, from my perspective, because you know, another woman I admire, like I admire you, um, you know, Riane Eisler, uh, talks a lot about the unseen work of women, you know, the work that women do that uh, just gets taken for granted, that never gets paid. Uh, but yet if, you know, the volunteer work women do, the caretaking work women do, all the work that women do that's sort of just taken for granted, but yet if women stop doing it, the world would stop spinning, you know? <laughs>
2: right, right. Or the ways that women's work in general is diminished or maligned. Mhm. not important. It's not as important. I mean, you can think about, you know, teachers. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But just try to get by without those that clean underwear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well let's let's go back to your trilogy, Blood Time, Meantime, yeah. Time, Dream Time. Um okay. so how did the trilogy come into being?
2: Well, it's interesting because this notion of the blood mysteries, which I later came to understand had probably emerged as as a theme back in the early 70s, it's just that at that time I I had no awareness of it. I wasn't living on the West Coast where, as I understand it now, is kind of where it was a more talked-about topic um, in, you know, the women's communities that were sprouting up at that time. So I didn't come to the West Coast until the early 90s, and so that's when I was introduced to these ideas. And, so I was a novice, and, and it, there was something about it that just kind of sparked my imagination, mostly from the standpoint of imagery. I, I I was, I mean, as I came to understand, the blood mysteries refer to the you know the mystery of birth, monarchy, um, coming of age, and uh, men, men, uh, menstruation, um, menopause, and death. You know, well, these are pretty monumental themes, but woven through them was also, you know, the the notion of blood um, and how it uh, is present in all of these life passages.
0: Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I was
2: imagining all the different ways that, I mean, this blood, this rich red, could be really explored and visual. And right. I just decided I was gonna be very bold. I was gonna you know, if I'm gonna make this if I'm gonna play with this, which is it was a lot of play for me. You know, play with these images and and uh, experiment in other words. I'm gonna do it in as bold a way as I can and um so that's what I decided to do and I ended up at first I had no idea it was going to be a trilogy. But the material that I ended up with kind of led me to a trilogy. Yeah. Um, because there was so much, and I, I couldn't really call it one film. Right. Um, and each one of these parts is kind of has a different approach. So the first part is, I would say, is the most experimental because I'm looking at a lot of different kinds of blood imagery um um i mean imagine a bullfight war medicine vampires uh women's blood <laughs> uh the blood of medicine etc and it's all red you know it's mm-hmm. all bright red and it and um it evokes different kinds of reactions depending on the kind of blood it is so yeah it's really asking people to consider the meanings and metaphors um,
1: and, and and i mean if if I don't know just from a woman's perspective, I don't know, I think a woman looks at blood very differently maybe than a man looks at blood, you know because if I can just be totally candid, I mean what woman hasn't seen her blood go down the drain, you know as maybe she stands in the shower or sits in the tub or uh, I mean, you know, women who have fibroids and things and have this heavy bleeding and you literally feel like you're hemorrhaging, you know, or, you know, you birth a baby. Um, women, I think, just have a totally different relationship to the blood, you know. Um, you know, it's this whole you can bleed without dying thing.
2: Yeah, um, but but there are still women who, I mean, as, as is expressed in the film, there are still women who... Report not being able to stand the sight of blood And and there's a woman who responds How can you be a woman and not be able to stand the sight of blood I mean, it's part of her every day Right So I think that there's a split, you know I mean, we say that, or there are people who say that But then they're not necessarily in touch with that part of themselves That they can stand the sight of Because they do do it
1: (laughs) Right, right, right Right. So, 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 um, so that. So, what? How was the second? How was the? Uh, you said each one is separate. Uh, yeah. You know, sort of has a different. What was the moon time? What were you aiming for with moon time?
2: Well, I, I was just very taken with the idea of celebrating coming of age. Um, mm-hmm. I had a particular experience. Um, I was imagining that if only my experience had been different, how other things. That followed in my life would have been different. Um, I had the fantasy that you know i there are uh, that I would have been able to stand up for myself differently than I actually was um, at points in my life that involved um, basically being taken advantage of, and that if if that point in my life had been celebrated differently or honored differently i I just feel it would have made me stronger. I wanted to make that statement. Um, I mean, I can't say absolutely that that would be true across the board for every girl who goes goes through it, but there is an image in the film of a young girl that I shot. Um, She was reenacting a ceremony, and I look at her face, and she just, I mean, she knew it was a reenactment, but she knew what she was reenacting, and she's so proud, and she's, I mean, she it just brings tears to my eyes every time I look at it.
1: Yeah, because your generation and my generation didn't, we weren't taught to take pride in it, you know. It was Absolutely. something hidden, taboo, shameful. Absolutely. And, and even today,
2: it, I mean, there's still, I think, There's still an inclination to not make too much of it, you know, like this is just part of life and let's not, Mm -hmm. you know, let's not make too much of it. Let's not over-romanticize it, which I certainly don't think the film is doing, but it's marking. That's the thing that was missing, marking it as a well, um, yeah, right, and, and,
1: you know, in big pharma, you know, big pharma tells us, oh, take your pill, you know, take this pill and make it go away, you know. Yeah. And, I mean, heaven only knows what that will end up maybe doing you down the road that they haven't figured out yet or won't tell us. Uh right. But, you know, they want, want to market that pill to take it away and, uh, you know, and that just plays into the whole oh you know it's an inconvenience it's a curse it's a a, a painful dreaded thing you know you rather than like with the we it
2: all together yeah. yeah
1: yeah exactly so so different than like the red tent movement out there now um that i think is lifting women up and helping women have a better relationship with it um uh, i mean what you're doing is so in sync with them you know um have you had any crossover or tie in with any of the red tent Groups or organizers or anything? Because they really should know about your film.
2: Well, you know, I know the woman who um, did the um, the film, uh, the the things we don't talk about, which is yeah. very yeah. much... Yeah, Isadora
1: uh, Leidenfrost, yeah.
2: Exactly. Um, but you know what? <laughs> I mean, I guess my big flaw is just one of time and energy, so... As much as one could have connected to those groups, I have not found the wherewithal to do it.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, it's difficult. I mean, it's not like, uh, uh, well, I mean, I think there's a website now where you could probably find them more easily than when maybe you first started out with this film. But, yeah, it takes a lot of outreach, you know. It's it's very time-consuming. But uh, uh, I, I think that would be a great audience for you, you know, to make sure they see this. See this film. Um, so, so tell us about the third, uh, the the third part, the dream time.
2: Uh, the dream time is um, well, it's a series of events. It, I mean, it incorporates different women. Some are reporting events in their lives, um, rituals, or Trying to think, what else that's not a ritual? I mean, there's a woman who's reporting um, about her son's suicide and what she had to do to come to terms with that. Um, another woman is reporting her uh, passage when she reached the age of 50 and wasn't and, and notes that she didn't feel she was ready for a croning ceremony; just wasn't up for that. So. Instead, she wanted to have a wedding, which I think she'd never had before. And uh, since she had no one to marry, she marries a cardboard man and puts on a wedding for herself. And and actually, that event is, is less like any of the others in the film, and yet I felt it belonged there because it was part of the imagination, you know, it was part of what, in this case, this woman chose to do, came out of her imagination, is the thing that would assuage her need at that time that was related to turning 50. Yeah. And she had a good time, I mean, <laughs> it was a big party, and um, um, it was very lighthearted, Mm-hmm. There's also a croning ceremony in there, and there's a woman talking about the uh, green funeral movement, which the focus in, the, in there is more on um, the impetus to be closer, to take back what funerals have taken away from us, where mm-hmm. we are no longer in contact with the body of a loved one after they've... And we hand it over to funerals And so there's a woman there who has a service That um, is intended to bring it back Bring it back to the family So there's a thread throughout that film That part, that section Um, I'm looking again Yeah, ritual, what was the subtitle? Uh, creating art and ritual. Creating art and ritual is really about marking those moments, whatever they are in our life. Um, well,
1: and, and you know, I've just been given talks on partnership, and the first talk on partnership is a partnership with yourself. And I guess maybe the easiest way to describe what that kind of would be is are you a good friend to yourself? You know, and and hearing you describe That woman, um, you know, I mean, somebody might say, well, gee, she was was a Looney Tune, you know, or or, gee, how sad is that? But, you know, if that's what made her feel good, if that was an outlet for her creativity, you know, I think that's wonderful, you know, because I think we don't treat ourselves um, as good as we could you know uh, we're we 're in this culture where we have it indoctrinated into us about suffering and sacrifice, uh, you know settle for less uh, rather than quality of life and marking these important life passages because you know when we do that empowers us you know um, and i don 't know you know call me a conspiracy theorist, but I think the establishment, the status quo. Uh, would rather have us beaten down than feeling empowered. And I think art and creativity and all of those sorts of things, they feed us, you know. They feed us and they nourish us. And I think that's why that's some of the first things that, you know, uh, lose its funding in schools because it helps us start to think outside the box rather than being the hamster on the wheel or the little, uh, you know, automaton, you know.
2: Well, and some people objected to the fact that it wasn't, that segment wasn't serious. And, in fact, the woman in that segment makes a point of saying she wanted levity.
1: Yeah.
2: That's what that's what she was in need of. Yeah. So, and yeah. she, not only did she want it, but she was able to create it and get people to celebrate with her in that way, and...
1: Yeah, I think that's great. I mean, you know. Well, you know, I remember on uh, Oh, uh, Sex and the City, there was an episode. Uh, I used to watch that religiously. I really did like the show. Um, I t- can't think for the the, uh, the moment. The girl who uh, he had all the shoes. The she was the main character. Uh, she she, I, she in one episode she married herself. Because she said all of her friends who got married, all the money, the thousands of dollars, she spent on all of her friends, giving them shower gifts, giving them wedding gifts. And she was going to marry herself, and it was time that they paid her back. And it was done, it was done lighthearted, but it was yeah. funny, you know. Yeah. It was funny. <laughs> she said, it's time for me now.
2: <laughs> right. I yeah, I've certainly had that feeling myself. <laughs> yeah. So, well, so it's given out, you know? Huh? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's it, it, it
1: and, and yeah, reciprocity. It's time for reciprocity. So so the trilogy now, though you've um I mean, while it's still even in those three parts, uh, I know it is just as relevant as it was And it will continue to be relevant, I think, for decades to come. Um, Well, I'm glad you
2: said that. Let me just add something here, if I may. You know, I came across something online. Um, It was a blog of some sort referring to the new frontiers of evolving consciousness. And as I read through it, I, I was just so taken because... The things that were mentioned there when I was making this film, these were not things that were in my awareness at all. These various, I don't know, for lack of a better word, I'll call them movements or, you know, impetuses, various things that are happening, whether it's the uh, food movement, you know, farm to table, the maker movement, the sharer movement, um I mean, they may have been happening, but not on a small scale, so that I wasn't aware of them. Um, and all of these things, to me, seem to be a part of, even though they're not addressed or spoken about in the film. But they almost seem like they uh, they represent what the film is, what Dr- uh dream time is referring to, because it's referring to the the imagination and what we can create and evolve for ourselves as long as we can imagine it.
1: So you were really ahead of your time with this.
2: Well, I don't know that I was, but the women in the film were.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and you were smart enough to recognize that. You know, you you, uh, you archived it. You documented it, you know, um, and with, without you... Uh, seeing, seeing the relevance, the importance—you uh, know—it uh, would have just, uh, you know, we, we wouldn't be able to enjoy it now, to learn from it. Um, so yeah, give yourself a pat on the back. I'm, I'm kudos to you, Roberta. Um, no, so we didn't, mention,
2: um, we didn't mention Helen Redman in Dreamtime, and she is uh, the one who is in the bonus disc. So we actually should give her some attention.
1: Well, yeah, I was about to go to the bonus disc now. So you've so so you've updated it in a sense. Now it's uh, it's like a four-parter, right?
2: Yeah, I, I haven't added to the disc to add the fourth part. But but when people order the the trilogy, they get a bonus disc, and the bonus disc is a more complete um, segment. So Helen Redmond, the artist. Um, whose series, Birthing the Crone, Aging into Full Creativity, is discussed somewhat in the film. It's elaborated on more in the bonus disc. You get a better sense of her work and her vision and um, what her intentions are with her work. And so not only with her work, but it it carries to... um, a suggestion for anyone who is aging
1: right 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 and and i mean i think that's something we need in our society too because of all the ageism you know i, I mean i think within goddess communities uh feminist communities um you know women are maybe more aware uh of how can i say it you know we uh, we we make sure older women are not invisible, you know, that they are still honored, that, uh, you know, we recognize them for their wisdom. But in this patriarchal culture, that's not the norm, I don't think.
2: Exactly, exactly. Yes, exactly. And so it's there's something about her stance that's empowering, um, a good reminder, you know, um, I mean, obviously, depending on what you know, how much of a dose of the nor the regular culture one is immersed in versus what you're referring to as whether it's goddess culture or some other um, counterculture, you know, right? Uh, it gives a, a perspective.
1: Right, right. So when people when people buy the, I just want to make sure I, I we say this right. When people huh? buy the trilogy Blood Time, Moon Time, Dream Time now, they can get uh, the bonus disc birthing the crone, aging into full uh, creativity with artist uh, Helen Redman. That's correct. Um, you know, if we're, if we're, I, I, you know I,
2: I'm a i am mean four movies.
1: Four movies. Movies And, you know, it reminds me of this commercial uh, that I really used to feel good about seeing on TV. And I think it was something about, I can't wait to be an older woman. And they would show all of these snippets of these women who were probably in their late 60s, 70s, 80s, maybe even 90s. And, you know, they had tennis shoes and purple outfits and pink hair. And, you know, they were just doing outlandish things, you know, as if they were still in their maiden, uh, you know, phase of life. And, uh, you know, I mean, uh, that ought to be okay. And, you know, I kind of think about that when I hear you talk about, um, you know, the, the, your bonus disc and, the, huh. you know, a, yeah. the, the subtitle, Aging into Full Creativity. You know, it, it's like you're, uh, you know, it, you're, and, and I think people need to be given permission sometimes. Sometimes they don't take, uh, you know, they, they don't give themselves permission. You know, they they, they uh, allow themselves to conform the in into uh, what maybe society or patriarchy tells them they're supposed to be, and you know that's a shame
2: yeah there are there are some really i mean there are some very out there dressers, women in their eighties and nineties, I must say yeah, but you know yeah. that's not that's not all it takes i mean there's a lot of ways to be um fully oneself it doesn't only have to show up in terms of how one dresses
1: sure i mean it's as it's as diverse as the individual i mean and that's the beauty of it it can be anything you know um you know anything that floats your boat you know give yourself permission to do it maybe it's something you wanted to do when you were 20 and never got around to it for whatever reason you know and now you're going to do it when you're 70 or 80 or 90 you know Exactly. So, um, so, Roberta, um, you know, as we sort of start to come to the close, because I know my second guest will probably be calling on the switchboard soon, um, what, what would you like to say about the trilogy and the new um, added bonus disc that maybe we haven't said already?
2: Uh, well, um, there was a time... A little while ago when I um, had first created the bonus disc and I put them, um was available on the website for at a discount. Um, I couldn't offer the discount forever. But even so, now at the normal price, uh, it's still a bargain because you're getting, one is getting that extra disc. And I will... Oh, I haven't figured out when yet, but, you know, there will be other times when I'll offer a discount price again, but as soon as I can, which will be sometime between now and the end of the year, and I don't mean to be vague about it, but it just has to do with my schedule. I'd also like to start making these films available for streaming um, so that it doesn't have to be exclusively the purchase of a DVD. Once I get it, um, encoded for streaming And up on something like Vimeo Then uh, it would be possible To watch them You know instantly Or download
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, You know For future viewing And then those prices will go down as well
1: And and I think so, And the other uh, and, thing
2: I would like to be able to do I'm sorry to interrupt you I want to be able to be sure that I can note the website For that yeah. for the film.
1: Well, and you said you were, I, I think, uh, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, because, you know, I, I, I don't want to speak out of, out of turn here, but I think you have some special offer for listeners, I think $35 for four discs plus postage.
2: I might have said that to you, and I'm not recalling it, but if you are, that's fine with me. I'm sorry.
1: Okay, can well, you no, well, that's that? okay. We can
2: do that. We can do that. So if somebody um, were to go to, the the only way I can do that would be if somebody were to go to the website um, where my um, email address, they they would find the email address there. And if they were interested in taking advantage of that offer, which I will honor, um, then they would write to me because otherwise the um, automatic, um, you know, the way the, the program automatically allows you to either go by PayPal or by or pay by check.
1: Right. Um, so and, how much are that they is saving with this with this deal? The uh, oh, it's a ten dollar savings. Okay. Okay. It's,
2: it's a ten dollar savings.
1: So uh, post. The, so forty dollars total. Forty dollars total includes postage that's uh, four disks. I mean, that's a deal. I mean, $10 a disk. I mean, that's that's a that's a generous deal. So, uh Thanks. they 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 just have to mention that uh they heard it here on uh, Karen's Karen show or Voices of the Sacred Feminine or something like that.
2: Exactly. That's
1: perfect. Okay. Uh, so
2: can we name the website?
1: Sure, yeah, absolutely. Please do.
2: So, it's um www dot original digital one word original digital dot net forward slash b m d which stands for blood time moon time dream time okay and on the Sounds site good. uh is also my um email address but i'll give it again here r c a n t o w at original dot net
1: Thank you. Well, and and well, listen, I, my other guest isn't there yet, so we, you know, I uh, have a little bit of extra time. Your other film, uh, "Clothesline," for instance, uh, that to me that sounds really intriguing. About the, you know, we spoke about that earlier, laundry in women's lives and the symbology of that. Is that still somewhere where people can um, see that?
2: You know, I don't have it on a website, um, but. The, the same email address, if somebody were interested in that title, they could write to me. And um, I'm selling that film for uh, $25 plus $5 postage, so it's $30. Um, that would be enough. I could just be contacted via my email address.
1: Okay, okay. And so. But let me um, say one
2: other thing about the trilogy because we haven't mentioned it. The the score for the trilogy is beautiful. It's wonderful. It's done by uh, Bronwyn Jones, very accomplished musical composer. And um, the score is also available from the website. I just want to mention that because it's gorgeous.
1: Okay, okay. And um, so now your accordion film. Um, yeah. Tell us, uh, tell us a little bit about that, and is that something um, people can see publicly anytime soon, or?
2: Um, I am going to. I'm waiting, actually. I haven't made the DVD sales public yet because of some restrictions related to film festivals. Um, but it does have its own website. Is it okay for me to give that web address? Oh
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead.
2: It's uh, www accordionsrising.com, and on that website, it's possible to join the mailing list. So if you wanted to be informed of when that is coming out on DVD or you wanted to be in touch with me, um, it's the same email address, arcanto at originaldigital.net.
1: Well, I, I have to ask you from the title, you know, Accordions Rising, Yes. Um it, 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 does that imply that there is a new is it a renewed interest in absolutely. in the absolutely. um really that's amazing
2: Oh absolutely not only interest but in every form of music imaginable and in fact there are people who have pointed out to me that even though this was not my actual intention that they see the film is um, demonstrating a lot—the evidence of uh, the music and the, uh, the music of the accordion—in the not only the folk forms that we're more familiar with, but also the avant-garde, um, as well as a lot of different popular and um, uh, ethnic forms. Popular,
0: okay.
2: yeah, popular. Everything from country and western to uh, rock and um, made, yes, I, I'm sorry, I'm at a loss for words. But um, accordions are actually have taken the country by storm. And in one of my um, exposés of what the film is about, I wrote, "Accordions are us."
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, we we get the I think this impression sometimes. I mean, like for instance, when you think of a violin. You know, I, for me anyway, okay, I mean, maybe if you're a violin player or, or you're somebody that's a musician, and I'm not. But, you know, when you think of a violin, for instance, you think of, I don't know, kind of a formal orchestra. and yeah. then you, then, But then you see, like, this the guy, what is it, Charlie Daniels, using a violin, in like, the devil goes down to Georgia. You know, and suddenly the violin takes on a whole new life. You know, um, and, you know, it, it, it almost sounds more like a fiddle, you know. Um, and so, I don't know, that's what makes me think w- about with, with this accordion piece, you know. It's like um, uh, they're being revitalized and maybe um, have a new persona or something.
2: Well, what is the old persona in your mind?
1: Um, accordions, uh, monkeys, circus. Um, you know, I, I think sort of things like that, you know um, A one-man band kind of a thing Silly, yeah.
2: silly Yeah, I have to tell you Accordions are in symphonies, in orchestras In um, concerts, one-person, four-person concerts um, I mean, the list goes on Everything from classical to um Baroque, to, I mean, that's not the right word. Classical, every form of classical, I mean to say, to opera, to um, fusion forms, jazz, everything you can think of. Wow. I I, is, I I I need to get favorite.
1: out more. <laughs> <laughs> Either I that or see out. the film. Uh, yeah, there you go. There you go. So, Roberta, what's your next project? Or or are you just... Uh, do you know yet? I mean, what's calling you? Rest, <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, somebody like you, you gotta have something uh niggle in the back of your brain,
2: actually, at this moment, I don't, but other okay. than, other than stepping away and um you know doing lighter stuff for a while, that's what yeah.
1: Well, and look, as a as a one-person show, uh, I mean, I, 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 as I think you are, you're much like me. I mean, once the project is made, then you have to turn into the marketer. So you know, uh, you write the book, then you got to sell the book. You make the film, now you got to get the film out there into the world, and that that will consume you, no doubt, for a while and sap your creativity. Uh, as you you know turn into the person um hawking it, you know,
2: yeah, it's been extremely demanding both in the production and the keeping track of uh you know the credits and the music and the licensing and you know all these details and it's been all on my me all on me right, and now' right. something similar with the marketing, so you're absolutely right and it this this project has more potential in some ways money making yeah. Than- which makes it wonderful, but also more of a burden,
1: I hear you, I hear you you know if 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 at some point we could live our lives and just do the things that inspire us and not have to worry about the money, wouldn't that be great? <laughs> we're going to create a- that
2: world, Karen. <laughs> there you
1: go. There you go. Roberta, thank you so much uh, for being on the show. Thank you for thank making you. these wonderful films. Thank um you know, thank you for having the courage to just uh, you know, show us the like you said, uh, you know, you you um you know, you're you're showing us the things that go unnoticed, you know? Uh and uh I, I, I like that. You know, I like that a lot. So You uh, are did, a very
2: did, gracious host.
1: Oh. Well, you know, uh I, I am lucky to have wonderful guests and it makes makes the job very easy. <laughs> so so listen, thank you for coming back and um anytime in the future as well. And uh I hope my listeners get in touch with you and you know maybe pick up some of uh you know pick up the trilogy maybe for the holidays coming up or something and uh you know, good good luck with your projects out there. Thank it's, you. It, it's Thank n- you. nice knowing, you, you know, with you, all, all of your creativity that, that you're out there in the world.
2: Thank you for having me on the show, Karen.
1: Oh, you're you're so welcome. And good night.
2: Thank you. Bye-bye.
1: Bye-bye. Uh, well, dear listeners, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Roberta. And uh, I am going to be getting to my second guest in just a moment here uh, because I see uh, Leah LaFleur is on the switchboard. Uh, but first, uh, I have to do a little business here for just a minute. Uh, here's a word from uh, Joe Carson, and I'll be right back with Leah. Oh.
0: most people see
1: humankind as really separate from nature and separate from the earth. I'm as much of this earth as a rock or a tree and I came out of it, this is my mother planet, I grew out of
2: this earth. As long as we
1: conceive of divinity as above us or outside of us, or that our bodies are somehow less divine than spirit, there's no way that we can change our course. Well, you were just listening to the trailer for "Dancing with Gaia," Joe Carson's feature-length documentary film. Uh, in it she interviews 15 visionaries and teachers about Earth energy, sacred sexuality, and the return of the goddesses Gaia. You know, Joe traveled to ancient sacred sites all over Europe and the Mediterranean to shoot this film. These spiritual sites from northern Scotland to central Turkey profoundly affected the origins of Western culture. If, if you have always wanted to see them yourself but haven't, this is an opportunity to experience some of the best ones and get their story. You know, this DVD comes packaged with a 45-page uh, mini-book, uh, which goes even deeper into the material. And you can buy the DVD and the booklet for only 20 bucks. Yes, only 20 bucks. So please go to her website, uh, dancingwithgaia.com, and check it out. Um, you know, I, I can't say enough that we are so responsible for our own education. You know, we can't rely on the education we get, from the, from the dinner table sometimes, from, uh, you know, traditional uh, educational systems, you know, we have to rely on people like Joe Carson, people like Roberta Canto, um, so that we expand our horizons and learn the things that, uh, you know, inspire us and sometimes the things that uh, are really important. Uh, because, you know, all television is going to get us is the Kardashians, right? Right. So anyway, uh, think about that, please. And uh, uh, the wonderful guests that come on the show have uh, dedicated their lives and have so much wisdom to share, and uh, I, I hope you will, uh, you know, honor them with, with, with your attention and, and, and with your support. So um, I am so happy to uh, have Leah uh, LaFleur uh, on the show. And uh, she is, uh, I'm, I'm going to unmute her in just a second uh, after I read uh, her short bio. And then we're going to jump into uh, what it was like for her uh, as a delegate. Uh, at the DNC uh, for Bernie Sanders, because I'm sure many people out there don't know uh, what incredible effort it took to be a delegate and what it cost financially, what it cost emotionally, what it cost Uh, energy-wise. You know, all we see is the, you know, Bread and Circus production uh, that they wanted us to see, um, you know, on on television, you know, it was carefully choreographed, I suppose, um, and uh, but but you know Leah is going to tell us what they didn't want us to see. And but anyway, first uh, just a little bit about Leah. Uh, Leah Lafleur. She's been a grassroots organizer and leader of Bernie PDx, uh, a volunteer community supporting the presidential campaign of uh, Senator Bernie Sanders for the last year plus. Uh, and she hails from Portland, Oregon. Her previous political activism uh, included work for an Oregon state measure to label genetically modified foods and for the federal expansion of Medicare to all Americans. Ms. LaFleur has been a Wiccan priestess for 15 years, and was inspired by the writings of Starhawk to incorporate magical activism into her efforts during this primary election season, leading several rituals for the progressive movement over the past few months. Uh, Ms. LaFleur was elected as an at-large delegate from the state of Oregon and attended the 2016 Democratic National Convention in Philadelphia. And I want to say as well, some of you might remember or know that uh, I participated in some uh, Bernie Sanders rituals uh, with um, uh, Crystal Raines, uh here in Los Angeles. And it was the rituals of Leah LaFleur that inspired us. In fact, uh, our, our rituals were based on Leah's rituals. So, um, Leah, welcome, uh, welcome to Voices of the Sacred Feminine. Thank you so much, Karen. It's great to speak with you this evening. Well, I'm so glad you're with me. And, um, you know, I, I said earlier in the show, uh, and I don't know if, if you were listening, but uh, there was a, um, a a social media uh, uh, story that came through. And the blog was uh, from commondreams.org, and the headline was, uh, "DNC Achieved Unity Through Forced Conformity and Manufactured Consent." Uh, and the article is by Irania—I uh, uh, think it's pronounced Calick. Uh, so anybody who wants to read it can go find it. But I wonder, would would you say that's a good, uh, you know? Um, a sound bite for what you experienced at the convention? Yeah, I would have to say that was pretty much spot on. Um, we could
3: tell from the beginning that this was essentially just going um, go to be a go-along-to-get-along thing. Um, and even in the 2016 Official Delegate Guide, in the front cover, there's a picture of Hillary Clinton. And you might think that in the back cover, there would be a picture of the other candidate running on the Democratic Party, uh, however, it was blank. Um kind of gave me the idea um about how this was expected all to go down. So yes, the the idea of unity um at the the end of a pond, you know, it was, it was no branch, it was all you know.
1: Okay. Um, are, are, you on, are you on Skype? Um, or uh, Because you're, you're just a little bit garbled. Um, I don't know if there's any sort of adjustment you can make.
3: Um, I, let, let me see if I can be in a different location and get a little better reception.
1: Okay. Because we, uh, we kind of, you know, a word here and there sort of drops out. And I want to just make sure we, we uh, you know, we hear you as good as possible. Uh, let me know when Thank you get you. settled again. Okay. Let's see. Is this better? So far, so far, I think it okay. might be. I'll let you know if if we start to lose you again. But um, you know, let's let's start with um, you know, what did it take to become a delegate? I mean, I I don't think most people understand um, you know how you got picked, how much it cost you. I mean, this was this was a big deal
3: it's true it was Um, so the way that the Democratic Party runs their um, delegates um, is that we all get elected Um, in the Republican Party they're assigned so um, as a person who is running for an elected position you really have to put yourself out there if you would like to become uh, elected so I uh, ran at the state um, at the district nominating convention um, and um, was I came in fourth of three candidates um, and then uh, ran again at the state nominating convention um, where I was elected as a delegate.
1: Well, congratulations.
3: Because you, you actually had to go campaign to be picked, right? Indeed, yes, yes, I did, and had a variety of campaign materials. Um, the first time I ran um, at the district convention, I ran on a slate. Um, we called ourselves Birdie Five. There were five of us, and we had all been volunteers at the um, rally at, for Bernie um, at the Moda Center um, at the event where the little bird landed on the podium, right? So we, we felt very attached to that moment and, and ran as the birdie five. Um, three of us were elected at that time, um, but two, uh, myself and one
1: other woman, um, were not Okay, and I and I'm just curious. Did um, did it help or hurt, or did it even come up that uh, that you were a Wiccan priestess? Um, I it didn't really come up at that point.
3: Um, I did notice after the articles had been written about the event, um, which was kind of a random thing too, because. Um, uh, in, in planning the um, the ritual for Bernie, um, a friend of mine had just kind of said, you know, why don't we do this? And I said, oh, that sounds like a great idea. Um, and then I, I put it out there on the BernieSanders.com uh, events page, and, you know, there were like 20 RSVPs, and I was thinking that would mean like five people would show up. And then I get to um, the park where we're holding the event, and I see five guys all standing around dressed in business casual, and I'm like, those guys aren't here for the ritual. <laughs> and it turned out they were all reporters. Um, so uh, they asked me a bunch of questions and, you know, then wrote wrote their articles. Um, I read some of the comments on each of them, and they turned out to be about half and half. Um, half people saying, oh, this crazy lady, she's making us all look bad. Um, and then the other half people saying, no, what she's doing is really great. It's It's cool that she's... You know, putting yourself out there and trying to put this positive energy into the world. So, right. really, as far as feedback on that, really, that's that's the most I had gotten, and and I was pleased that it was about half and half. I was expecting a lot more hate, um, but <laughs> but apparently we're past that. Um, well, so good. you can be a, a progressive political pagan in the 21st century and and not to, and and not be uh, overtaken
1: by the armies of the angry. <laughs> well, you know, I have to tell you, when uh, Crystal and I posted uh, our rituals on the Bernie website, <clears throat> they would disappear. And, um, and, and finally, Crystal rewrote it, I, and I forget now how she rewrote wrote it, but I think we took the word ritual out of the title, and then it managed to stay up. And I didn't, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't say anything. I didn't make any inquiries, but I, because I thought to myself, well, if somebody's pulling it, they must think it's in the best interest of Bernie, because the last thing he needed was bad press, like oh, crazy witches or something, right. or supporting Bernie Sanders. You, you know, I mean, you know how it, how that can go um but but I did find it interesting that ours kept getting you know pulled down but anyway we we still had wonderful uh, you know wonderful turnout and wonderful rituals anyway and yeah I saw the pictures with.
3: it looked amazing
1: yeah it was it we we had a wonderful time, and I mean we even phone banked at the uh at the goddess temple and oh, you know, that's we awesome. put them <laughs> put pictures on Facebook and you see this giant statue of Sekhmet in the mm-hmm. background as we 're all phone banking you know um, <laughs> but uh, so all right, so you had to actually uh you you had to actually campaign you got chosen. Um, and I can understand that you would, because you're you're so you know well spoken and knowledgeable uh, about this. So I have to tell you, you know, I, I considered it, and I I got scared off because the thought of having to actually campaign and be chosen, um, you know, I I just didn't feel like I was up to it. So kudos to you, uh, absolutely, and. Um, and so this had to have cost you a lot uh, to actually go from Portland to Philadelphia, you know, airfare, hotel, transportation, food, all of that. I mean, this it almost feels like these sorts of things are only for people that are well-off. And I know a lot of the Bernie people weren't because there were GoFundMe campaigns, there were carpools, um maybe speak a little bit about the struggle for, you know, what it was like, how hard it was for Bernie supporters to actually get there and participate. Yeah, for sure.
3: Um, So originally um, I had heard about becoming a delegate, and on the Democratic Party's website they indicated it would cost approximately $4,000. And at that point I was like, ha-ha, no. (laughs) And it wasn't until later in the um, election cycle that that I was recruited into the Birdie Five and we had talked about like, okay, well, how much do you think this would really cost? And um, we kind of parsed it out so that it would be approximately 1500 to $2,000, depending on how um, how few people that you would like to room with at the delegation hotel. And That was one of the things, is that um, the Democratic Party decides where each delegation is housed. So you really have no choice about um, where you stay and how much it costs. Um, But you can choose to stay with up to three other people, so that really um, cuts the cost um, significantly. Airfare out to Philadelphia, yeah, that was expensive too. Um, But I think uh, with some savings that I had, and um, about $800 that I was able to raise in GoFundMe, um, it wasn't a problem at all for me to to participate. Um, when it came to food, food was very much available. Um, there were parties and events all the time, and generally food was at them. So it didn't really add too much to the cost of my trip. Um, but, yeah, the main expenses were uh, in travel and um, in the housing.
1: okay. Okay. So um all right so we, you know and I and and I'm not even sure all the questions I should ask you you know I know uh from some of the things we saw on social media it seemed like the uh, a lot of the Bernie Sanders people were on the other side of a chain link fence and nobody could even see them or hear them except for you know, maybe these brief little snippets occasionally. I mean, were, were, were people – now, I'm not talking the delegates who you guys were able to get into, uh, you know, the, you know the, the, the facility. But a lot of people who came to Philadelphia, they were really kind of shoved off to the side where nobody could even see them. Is, is that not the case, or am I wrong?
3: Um I was really isolated from a lot of that experience, essentially going from the delegation bus at my hotel to the um Philadelphia or Pennsylvania Convention Center during the day, then on the delegation bus to the Wells Fargo Center at night and the delegation bus back home, so there was a lot of of that that I didn't really get to see. Um, I did know that there were uh, thousands of people at FDR Park, um, which was directly across the street from the Wells Fargo Center for the evening program. Um, And so I wasn't really able to to get too much of a a read on on what was going on
1: outside other than the things I was able to read on,
3: on the media.
1: Well and and you know and forgive me if i don't use the right terminology uh and and i've i've sort of forgotten but i think we actually i, I mean it used to be when protesters or it, you know protested at a place you know you could get you know right up near the front So that you could be seen by the press, by the, you know, maybe the people that you're protesting. But now I think protesters are relegated to safe zones or something or protest zones. And oftentimes it's miles and miles away from where the actual event that you're protesting actually happens. And it it kind of feels like that's a thwarting of democracy, um, you know, right there uh, in in a sense. And I don't know if any of the Bernie supporters. Suffered from that, but uh, it it seemed that maybe they did. I I, I don't know, but but you you don't really can't really speak to that.
3: Not too much. No, I do know that um, after um, the the walkout that we did on Tuesday, um, that a lot of people uh, ended up joining the protest um, along with Nina Turner, um, and that was across the street at the FDR Park. So I think that yes, the safe zone. Um, was was very far away from the entrance to the Wells Fargo Center and the action activities that were happening there. And we
1: know the Main Street media, who had, had their finger on the scale for Clinton all along, they weren't going to cover that because they wanted to perpetuate this idea of unity, even though uh, not, it, you know that really wasn't what was going on. Would, is that fair to say?
3: That is absolutely fair to say.
1: So when you see in social media, and I mean, look, I, I know you can't give me an absolute answer, but when they were saying in the Main Street media, oh, yeah, you know, now that Bernie's endorsed Hillary, everybody's fallen in line behind her, did you get a sense that that was accurate or was that an exaggeration? Uh, that is
3: absolutely untrue. <laughs> um, I would say that within the Bernie Sanders caucus, um, there's a variety of viewpoints. Um, you have your more moderate people like me Um, and then there were people that um, were known in the media as Bernie or Bust Um, and in my delegation they called themselves third degree burners and those people really felt that when Bernie endorsed Hillary that was the end of his campaign and then therefore marching orders no longer came from him so that was pretty much a schism within the caucus which kind of set the stage for the um,
1: more outrageous behaviors that happened later in the event. Okay. Well, because I know Bernie uh, sent a tweet uh, or something, some sort of communication, at least I heard, that he asked people to not do anything like walk out or, um, uh, well, actually it seemed like he was asking people not to protest. Um, Was that true, and um, how did you feel about that? Um,
3: Well, on Monday night, he had sent an email after people started kind of getting rowdy saying, um, booing is not helpful. It makes us look bad. If you could please not boo for me, I would appreciate it. Um, So I don't really feel like he was squashing protests. Um, more that he was asking for decorum. Um, And there were certain things that I felt were important and needed to be said when it came to no TPP. You know, that was a sentiment that was repeated throughout the event, both with signs and with chanting. Um, And I really feel like this is the opportunity that we have to talk to our elected leaders to let them know that this is a problem. This is not a, f- a fair trade deal. This is a free trade deal. And like NAFTA, this is really going to hurt whatever is left of the American middle class. In addition to the extra governmental powers that it will give corporations um, to sue countries who create environmental laws that affect their bottom line. This scale, yeah. this Trade agreement is an enormous problem. And if it goes through, the repercussions are going to last for decades. It's awful. And we need to raise our voices. And we need to be heard. Mostly we have been marginalized. And when we have attempted to, to speak out on issues like this, we're ignored. So right. I, I really feel like this was a, a, an excellent forum for us to be able to to say, you know, there are people who are against this. And look, there's a lot of them
1: right well and, and I know that was one of the areas that uh, the you know the Bernie failed to get the the democratic platform uh, to go along with you know
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, did did you i mean we, and we did see some of the no, you know no uh, TPP signs I mean that did seem to make well at least through in social media I, I mean, to be honest with you, i couldn't bring myself. To stomach watching the convention I, mm-hmm. I I looked at it through snippets on social media because i couldn't I, I honestly couldn 't stand to just hear the the pro Hillary pro Hillary pro Hillary talk because it felt so staged to me, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: it, and it felt like here we had an opportunity to really sort of discuss some issues, but it was just going to be this big whitewash instead of. Um, I, I, I don't know. It 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 just it it felt like a circus, you know. It it felt like bread and circuses rather than you know like maybe give voice to the, you know, the delegations that were anti-war or, uh, you know, against the TPP. Um, I, I know the California delegation uh, kicked up a lot of dust, um, you know, I, I, I against sort of the militaristic um, uh, uh, speeches that, uh, you know, seemed to be on the floor. Um, and, and And then we heard stuff like, well, they put, um, uh, what do you call it, uh, white noise machines over the California delegation because they were too rowdy. And then we heard, no, it wasn't really white noise machines, it was antennas. I mean, do you know anything about that? I remember hearing um, that that
3: people thought there would be white noise machines used. I, I don't that occurred. I didn't see really any evidence of that. But what I can tell you that they did was they cut the floor mics, um, and I recognized that um, from from exiting the the center for a bit. Um, I uh, during the Tim Kaine um, nominating speech, um, I stepped out of the hall, and as I was leaving, I could hear both. On the television set that was in the hallway, um, and what was going on behind me in in the room, um, you know, definitely there were when they nominated Tim Kaine, uh, <clears throat> there was the, the call for you know the people who who um, favor the amendment, and and many people said yay, and then when it came to the people who were against, I heard many many boos and no's coming from inside of the hall. However, this was not reflected on the television that was outside. And additionally, um, someone had uh, made a a Facebook post um, about, oh, we were really rowdy tonight. You know, we were letting them know. And somebody posted saying, I was watching TV and I didn't hear anything.
1: Yeah. So that
3: they they said they would cut the floor mic. I I believe they actually did, that that was what had
1: occurred. Well, you know, one of the other things that was floating around social media was, um, uh, I think, the last day, uh, Thursday, that they that the DNC was actually filling the arena with uh, with the bodies that they had paid from Craigslist. I think it was that they were actually taking away seats from Bernie delegates and putting in people who really weren't delegates to. Uh, take away the seats of, of Bernie supporters. Uh, it, 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 do you, did you hear anything about that or know if that's true? Or
3: I heard that there was a Craigslist ad up, but then I had seen that it was a fake ad. Um, but really, all they needed to do was say, hey, anybody want to attend the convention? And it, it was easy for them to sell seats. They didn't want the visual appearance of emptiness. They wanted a bottom in every seat so that when they panned the crowd, it would look like the stadium had been filled. Um, And while we were elected delegates and given assigned seating, um, truly if a seat was empty and someone was willing to fight you for it, as a woman did me, I was shoved out of the way and trying to defend the seats of the Oregon delegation. Um, You know, they just, they, they wanted people in there.
1: So, they were looking to fill every seat. So, did they fill it? I mean, was uh, I, I mean, was it filled every day or? Um, oh yeah. It was. Yes. Okay. Oh yes. Yep. And on the last two days,
3: particularly, they were really there were a way too many people than there were seats. Um, so there was a lot of um, aggressive behavior um, on the part of non-delegates attempting to be seated in the arena.
1: You know, one of the other rumors we heard was that uh, they would open. They would tell the Bernie people uh, the arena opened at a certain time, and they. But yet they opened it early so that the Hillary people could all get down in front, where their signs could block the Bernie people's signs that were to the back. Um, Any truth to that? Um,
3: Monday was utter chaos. Um, We had heard originally that the. um, Uh, Gavel every day would be at 5 p.m., and then uh, Bernie uh, indicated that he wanted to speak with his uh, caucus um, at the Pennsylvania Convention Center before uh, Gavel on Monday, and he had set that time at 3 p.m. And then the DNC changed the Gavel uh, time from 5 to 4. Um, So that really seemed strange, unfair, and wrong. Um, ultimately, Bernie was able to change his speech to uh, 1230 so that we could all get to the um, Wells Fargo Center by gavel. Um, but it, it, I'm not sure what all was going on in there, but it definitely seemed like things were being made harder than they need to be.
1: Yeah. Um well you know speaking of uh you know the uh, Bernie and you know him addressing the 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 group i mean did anyone did the, the del- you know the bernie delegates the bernie caucus did they um you know was there much communication with bernie uh there, I mean, because you know, we there were so many rumors. I mean, you know, there were the rumors that he had been beaten up, and there were pictures of him with a bruise and a gash on his face. Um, I mean, there were. I mean, there, the rumors were. It was just a rumor mill, um, and I guess that's to be expected. But I mean, what can what can you tell us? Um, that that maybe you know wasn't picked up on social media. Um, that that you think we should know. Um,
3: you know, I'm 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 not really sure what to say about that, but I could I can say that there was definitely a lack of communication among all camps, and I think that that's truly what fueled the rumor mill so much that we were specifically asking for information that was not given to us, either by the Sanders campaign or by the DNC, and then having to kind of work out these worst-case scenario um, plans in order to make sure that, you know, in the the event of the worst-case scenario, we would be covered, but then not having to use these plans. So I think it just kind of stirs up a lot of anxiety and paranoia. Um, when we already know that so many things have been stacked against us on purpose, and now we have to make all of these contingency plans without sufficient information. And it really just fueled that whole rumor thing. And then in addition to the delegates not having enough information, then there were also the people on the outside who were looking for information from us. And when we weren't able to provide that information, there were a lot of people who then just kind of Stick it upon themselves to say, "Well, this is probably what's happening," and then that was the information. So it was really, it was really hard, and I would say unnecessarily complicated. Um, A
1: little information would have gone a long way. And well, we know there was a walkout on Monday, and then we heard there was a scheduled walkout on Thursday when Hillary was supposed to talk. Uh, The walkout was on Tuesday. On Tuesday. Okay, and then there was supposed to be one, I think, on Thursday when Hillary spoke as kind of a protest thing, but we heard that the doors got locked, so uh, they weren't able to do it. Was that true?
3: Um, Well... Whenever there was um, a heavy hitter in the Wells Fargo Arena, they had different types of security procedures. So when President Obama had entered the building on Wednesday, we got notices, you know, intermittently, like, okay, you know, if you want to go to the bathroom, now's the time because in five minutes, everybody's going to have to be in their seat or they're going to get locked out. Well, then once the president was in his place, then. They opened up space again, so we could go back and we could, you know enter and exit freely. So if, if one of the principles was moving, then we definitely had to be where we were meant to be, or else we would be locked out. So it was more of a security thing for President Obama, for President Clinton and for Secretary Clinton. Um, than it was, I would say, um, a way to control. The people that were in the auditorium. Okay,
1: okay, I see. Um, Now you, um, there was uh, a a, a good, a a good positive energy ritual on Sunday. Did you want to speak to that a little bit? Sure. Um, So when I um,
3: got elected as a delegate, I thought um, I had connected with uh, April. Um the motto, and um, she was holding space for light workers at FDR Park um, during the um, the convention and we had discussed about um, the different types of things that we can raise the positive energy um, of the movement, um, and to, to hold space for the ritual there would be uh, just an excellent opportunity. So I was very grateful to April for reaching out um, and really was excited to do the ritual again. Um, we changed it up a little bit. I took some feedback that um, I got from Crystal Rains, who did the, the one of the people who did the ritual in LA. And um, I really liked um, the things that she had sent me about Isaac Bonowitz and the types of things that he had spoken about, about Lady Liberty and kind of that that, uh, sacred feminine divine um, through through kind of a political lens, which was an interesting uh, take on it. I had come from more of an activist side than a political side. Um, So to incorporate some of those things was really nice. We did the ritual. Um, It was a little different than the one I had done in Portland, Um, but it really, I think, was a very meaningful and positive thing to the people that participated. Um, And when we had set up our spots, um, in, in the FDR park, um, at that point in time, no one was really there, but pretty much as soon as we had finished ritual, um, that's when the marchers that were coming from, uh, city hall had arrived and they all just start streaming in. So we had, um, a lot of bells. That was one of the themes of our rituals. And as the people are coming in, we're ringing the bells and it was just a really nice and positive event. I Sounds I think beautiful. So. Yeah, it was really lovely. <clears throat>
1: Now, um no, I understand that the lights out, the lights uh, went out over the Oregon uh, delegation when Leon Panetta was given his speech. yeah, it's true. He was
3: really um, banging the ward drum, and we got activated. Um, And that was another thing that I felt really strongly about as well. I wasn't going to boo anybody. I just disagree with that personally as my own personal choice. However, certain things I believe needed to be said. And the state of endless war that we're in is heartbreaking and needs to end. And we need people that are willing to speak up about that. So when he started down that path, we really got activated and there were a lot of chants of no more war. We probably went on for about a minute and a half to two minutes where he was forced to stop speaking because he couldn't speak over us. Um, And then they turned out the lights over our section. Um, And we were kind of surprised by that action. Um, One of our uh, delegates suggested putting on our cell phone lights, which we also then did. Um, And... uh, kind of illuminating our space in the dark. Um, after he had finished speaking, um, they had a little video clip that they showed, and at that time they dimmed all of the lights. And then after that,
1: all of the lights came back up, so we were illuminated again. Hmm. Well, and we, and we could see that some of the delegates uh, tried to counteract that happening again because they went and got those glow-in-the-dark But well,
3: Actually, um, that was something different that I think was just kind of a happy accident. Um, In the month leading up to the convention, there was a lot of coordination going on. Um, A group of delegates um, got together uh, calling themselves the Coalition of 57. Um, I was a part of that group. We were like the information center uh, for the the Bernie caucus at the convention. Um, Another thing that people wanted to do was have a t shirt. Um, so there was a lot of discussion about um, a national delegation t shirt and about what it should have and what color it should be. Originally, we had decided green, and then somebody uh, uh, shared a, a, a image of, you know, oh, a green screen. What can you put on that? You know, <laughs> anything. Are you sure you want a green shirt? So we decided somewhere on the green spectrum, and some people were unhappy with the yellowish green choice. But um, ultimately, I think about 700 or 800 of us um, purchased those shirts and we all decided that we were going to wear them on the final night of the convention. Um, So when we all show up in the shirts and they dim the lights the first time for their little video piece, it appears that all of our shirts glow in the dark. (laughs) So that was like, oh, my gosh. And then where there were concentrated groups of people, it was very apparent. So in the upper seats of the California delegation You can really see a lot of glowing shirts In the Oregon delegation too We were all sitting together and most of us had the shirts So we were definitely a glowing Block of green um,
1: In the, the propaganda fest <laughs> <laughs> um, Okay so we have to talk about the WikiLeaks thing um, Now was there a request uh, To Secretary Clinton to Apologize to the Sanders delegations For WikiLeaks Yes there was Um, And the
3: some of the people from the coalition of 57 um, in addition to other people that were working with the Bernie Sanders campaign and up in the higher levels of the Clinton campaign had been in discussion about this for some time and we had made a specific request that by 9 p.m. on Thursday we wanted an apology for what had happened Um, and if that didn't happen then we can't guarantee what will occur next. So we waited and waited, and at nine o'clock there was um, a speaker um, who hadn't, you know, wasn't wasn't anything to do with that particular thing. But then after that, still nothing. And then some people were patient and waited till um, Secretary Clinton's acceptance speech. Um, and when she mentioned Bernie Sanders, she had essentially said, thanks for, for coming to the movement. Now, volunteer for me. <laughs> At right. that point, I left, as did many other people. Yeah. So, and then yeah. that's really when it all broke loose and there was a lot of booing and there was a lot of disruptive behavior. We had asked for an olive branch and instead were hit with a stick, and that was just par for the course.
1: So do you think um, Clinton, uh, I mean, do you have any way of knowing if Clinton was aware of the discontent? Um, It's hard to believe that she wouldn't be, Um,
3: and especially when you consider um, her choice of vice presidential candidate. I mean, Tim Mm -hmm. King, he's a conservative Democrat. Half of the Mm -hmm. people in the room, I mean, approximately half, because it was about 45% Bernie Sanders supporters and 55% Hillary Clinton supporters, about 45% of the people in the room were more progressive than Hillary Clinton. And her choice of a more conservative running mate essentially said, you are not important to me. What you want and what your views are and what your values are are less important than this other thing. And. You know, it was just a message that was repeated to us over and over and over. On Thursday night, I think, it was either Wednesday or Thursday, um, they had two speakers up that were Republicans for Clinton. And, you know, that was was pretty much letting us know where we stood. We were not being courted by the Clinton campaign. They were looking to to date more conservative people. <laughs> so.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. She She's trying to get the uh, Republicans that can't stomach the idea of voting for Trump uh, rather than, uh, I guess she figures she doesn't, I don't know, maybe she figures she doesn't need the progressives or, you know, they'll just fall in Or that in we'll vote for
3: her anyway. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: It's, it's
3: so insulting, though.
1: Yeah. It is. It, I mean, it, it really is. I mean, it's. It's. Uh, it, I, I mean, I, to me, I, the analogy is like you beat a dog and beat a dog and beat a dog, and then you expect the dog to lick your hand. You know,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, it it just doesn't. Uh, it, it doesn't jive with m- my sense of how I am in the world. You know, I mean, I'm not going to take abuse and then. Um, and, and then come around and be your friend, you know? Right. She's, she's I, hoping it, for
3: Stockholm syndrome, and some of us just aren't going to go there.
1: <laughs> I I know, uh, absolutely. Well, well, was there any uh, was there any kind of um, uh, outreach? You know, did anybody in the Democratic Party uh, try to make the Bernie uh, caucus feel welcome or heard? Um.
3: Overwhelmingly, I would say no. Um, speaking specifically about my state um, I would say that there were a lot of us who this was our first rodeo um, and we had just recently started participating in the Democratic Party of Oregon and in the local um, county Democratic Party meetings Um, and in those places generally we were not welcomed we were condescended to and um, there was a lot of paternalism um, just kind of like, well, you're you're new, and if you were around longer, you would know that this is how we do things. And you know, it was it was not very welcoming. By the time we got to the convention, though, and we were all together, I would say that the Democratic Party of Oregon leaders truly stepped up to make us feel welcome, to make us feel heard, and to make us feel included in the process. And I am incredibly grateful for that. I don't know other how other delegations had that experience um, with their state and and county party people. But I would definitely say the Oregon, um, Democratic Party of Oregon people, um, really worked to make us feel included and heard in the
1: process. So um, anything to say about the press? Um, You know, any stories there? Uh, You know... uh, Uh, Fox News, uh, I mean, you know, MSNBC, uh, anything that uh, you saw that maybe we couldn't know about? Um,
3: Well, so on Tuesday, um, after uh, the roll call vote, uh, one of the coordinated uh, efforts that we did was a walkout. And the walkout was specifically to go to the media tent to tell the media how we've been feeling and the experiences that we've been having. Um, and about, I don't know, 200 or 300 of us, um, after after the roll call vote had ended, stood up and professed out to the media tent. Um, and we tried to be heard. And there were lots of people who were able to get into the media tent before it was closed by the police. I was on the outside. Um, I wasn't able to get in, but I was standing right at the window and holding a sign that said, this is what democracy looks like. And many people walked up and down the line and took pictures. And um, after a while, there was a lot of press that interviewed me. I probably did like seven or eight interviews at that time, but it was all foreign press. So two different papers from Japan and um, a paper from Switzerland and one from France, but not any American press. So I think that there's probably a lot greater coverage of this in foreign
1: media than in local. Yeah, I did see uh, something in, uh, I think it was the Japan Times. Uh, I think the headline was something like Clinton beats Sanders by hook or by crook. You know, they, they they were really saying uh, the truth, you know, about uh, WikiLeaks and about how uh, it seemed like the media was more interested in shooting the messenger than uh, focused on the story of what the DNC actually did. And that seems to be the narrative that keeps repeating, you know, evil Russia uh, as opposed to uh, Democrats cheat Sanders, you know. mm mm-hmm. um, um, so um, a, a, about that, um, you know, when the WikiLeaks thing broke, I think, after you guys were there, um, was there, did it, uh, you know, did it spur anything different than was already planned? I mean, or did it just emotionally boost you and you knew, you know, you knew the gaslighting was over finally because now it had, uh, been revealed that everything we had been saying was true.
3: Yeah, that was, I would say, the overwhelming feeling of people that, you know, we we had been told for all of these months that we were being paranoid, you know, but yes, we were being gaslighted. And now that that had been revealed, I think in some ways it was comforting to people because it was we were able to say, yes, it's true, the things we were saying were true. This information backs this up. We're not crazy people. We are, we are being marginalized and we are being lied to to our faces and you know in a way like i said it was it was comforting in a certain way um but the it i, I don't know that it really made anybody more angry than they already were the things that were making people more angry than they already were were happening during the convention and it was the the marginalization that was going on there and the expectation that we needed to get in line and sit down and shut up that was really getting people worked up
1: yeah, yeah well, I, I know, you know, I did watch the convention Of, I watched the roll call vote uh, I watched when Bernie spoke uh, I loved the standing ovation I mean, that. how long did that go on? it seems like it might have been two or three minutes Do do we know? Um, hmm, I, I'm not sure, but yes, it did go on for quite some time. And
3: there were and there were a lot of people that were really, really angry and feeling very betrayed by Bernie that he had chosen to make a motion to accept Hillary Clinton as the nominee by acclamation. Um, there were a lot of people who had been very uh, diligently marking how many votes from each state and what the percentage was as far as... Um, They're uh, voting during their during each state's primaries, and you know people were looking for shenanigans that something would go wrong, that we would need to be called upon in order to set the record straight or to you know defend an undefended boundary. Um, but then when Bernie did that, essentially it didn't really matter how many votes were recorded in each state. He was saying all the votes should go to Secretary Clinton, and that was accepted. Um, but it did make a lot of people feel very betrayed and there were a lot of people that that I spoke with that I tried to help them see that it wasn't it wasn't really about Bernie Sanders specifically yes he is the person who got us activated however it's the movement it's not the man and it's not the moment and what we needed to be doing after he was no longer the nominee was the same thing that we needed to be doing if he was the nominee (laughs) you know we needed to be to become active we needed to be joining the democratic party at whatever level we needed to be running for office we needed to be you know getting ourselves involved in these activist organizations that are applying pressure to the democratic party all of those things were still true um to to tie up the the movement in the man is to really miss the, the point of the whole message. I think.
1: Yeah, I, I agree, and and I know that people, you know, wanted him to, you know, duke it out even longer. But, you know, there were these, uh, there were a lot of things being said on social media that um, he really, you know, he really didn't have much choice. Uh, that he uh, he had to, uh, you know, he had to endorse her. And, and, you know, and I don't, I don't know, uh, it, it feels like to me, uh, you know, he kind of fell on his sword. I can just imagine, I mean, I don't know, just having watched him in the debates and knowing what he stands for versus what she stands for and what she's done versus what he's done, you know, their, their entire lives, I, you know, I felt for the man. You know, there was no way in the world I could feel like he betrayed us or he let us down. You know, I couldn't even imagine how painful it must have been for him to be there and have oh, to agree. endorse her, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, look, you know, if you, if you lose fair and square, that's one thing. But, you know, I'm of the mind that he didn't lose fair and square. You know, we still, yeah. here in California, we still, I mean, California was awarded to Hillary, and I don't know that we know all the votes were even still counted, you know, mm-hmm. um, yep. and and that that could have turned everything. You know, that could have, uh, you know, aside from the super delegates, of course. You know, um, but I, I felt like, um, you know, the pain he must have been in. I mean, I could almost taste the bile that was probably in his mouth. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and he did really
3: look like he was struggling. You know, that this wasn't what he wanted to do, and but that it was what he needed to do, and it was re- was required of him in order to move this process forward.
1: Right. Well, is there anything to what we're reading on social media about the way after the roll call, the way he he um, said, you know, the I don't know what I don't know the, the terminology, but there was something about the way he nominated Clinton after the roll call, left it open to that if something happens and she goes down because of WikiLeaks. That he will automatically be the number two in line. Is there is that just wishful thinking, or is is there something to that? Do you, do you even know what I'm talking about? Because I know I just did a horrible job of um, <laughs> explaining it. <laughs>
3: Um, you know, I'm not too sure about the nuances of that, and that's one of the things that I'm finding out about this process generally. There's a lot of nuance, and, and in some ways, it seems like things are kept intentionally
1: complicated so that people specifically choose not to participate. <laughs> right. Right, right, right. And, and I mean, like right now, I mean, I don't know if it's true, but, you know, ABC was saying something about um, Trump may jump, may back out of the race, and uh, Priebus is supposed to be uh, trying to, you know, figure out, well, what do, what do they do in that set of circumstances? You almost get the feeling they are all making it up as they go along <laughs> to suit them, you know? Uh, and yes. they can find any little obs- your rule to uh, bolster whatever they're, you know, to promote their agenda. <laughs> yes. Gee, I, I, would I totally It seems rigged. Well, um, we, we are starting to run out of time, Leah. Um, we have probably uh, five minutes at most. Um, what, I know I, we've spoken about a lot, but is there anything I didn't think to ask you you think is important to share?
3: Um, well, one of the things that I would say is that in, in Bernie's speech to people, um, the, the delegation on Monday, um, and then in subsequent emails, he's really been saying, what we need to do is we need to take over the Democratic Party with progressive people. We need to get involved. So far, um, we have chosen not to because we have felt excluded, and we have been excluded. They haven't wanted us to be there. But in order to make a truly meaningful and substantive change we're going to need to swallow this bitter pill and some of us are going to have to actually join the Democratic Party we're going to have to become precinct committee people um, in our neighborhoods we're going to have to try to become district leaders we're going to have to take on roles and the rules committee um, on the the platform committee these are the places where these decisions where the vision of the organization is held and in order to make that vision more in line with the progressive people we have to take on these roles and we have to run for office we need to insert ourselves into this process in this way that has been uncomfortable for us to do before but without doing this we're never going to be able to achieve the type of progressive future that so many of us hold in our hearts so people like me are have become activated and and I have joined the Democratic Party I'm a precinct committee person in my neighborhood. I'm running for office in 2018. You know, all of these things are things that I feel Bernie has said and, and they have come into my ears and, and nested in my head and, and are, are, are gaining energy and momentum there. So the more people that I can communicate this message to, the more people who can be activated and to feel passionate about this as a mission, about moving the progressive agenda forward by joining the Democratic Party and doing change from within, the more I feel like Bernie's message truly, the the whole reason behind his campaign will have value that continues on for decades.
1: So for the people who have jumped ship and are going over to Jill Stein, would you say think twice?
3: I would say it depends on what state you live in. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. If I would say California, Oregonians for Jill Stein, matter.
3: knock yourself out. But Ohioans for Jill Stein, maybe.
1: Yeah, maybe yeah, you should vote yeah. for Hillary. You I know. get it. I yeah, I totally get it. Kentuckians <laughs> for um, Jill Stein, awesome. <laughs> say again.
3: Kentuckians for Jill Stein, go for it.
1: <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, Leah, thank you so much, and you know what? You're you are just so inspiring. Um, honestly, I mean, here you are. You're going to be running for office and everything. I am, I am just in awe of you. And you know, it is hard to change things from within. Um, you know, I think about the the people who have stayed in Christianity to try to awaken the sacred feminine within Christianity. You know, uh, it's it's not it, it's not an easy thing to do. But um, you know, sometimes uh, sometimes these things are necessary. You can't always accomplish what you want to accomplish from the outside. Um, yeah, I agree. I, I, so and, I and I, we I, need people
3: I, that stay, and we need people to apply pressure from the outside as well. The people who are pres- applying pressure from the outside show us the depth of vision that we could possibly achieve. The people applying pressure from the inside are moving millimeters at a time towards that goal, but both are required in order for us to really achieve the type of vision that we, progressive people, hold in our hearts in yeah. the United States and for the world.
1: Yeah, because without the activists, you know, it, the people in government don't do anything, I think, you know, mm-hmm. uh, at, at least, you know, they they need to be pushed. And I think it's the activists, you know, getting angry, getting activated, Uh, finding their sacred roar, their sacred rage, uh, pushes them. Because, you know, it's hard to sustain that tenacity necessary for the long haul. You know, you really do have to find, I think, your SECMED energy, your Kali energy, Mm -hmm. you know, the energy of the more again, and not be afraid to use it, you know. Yep.
3: And not every job is required of every single person. You know, maybe you absolutely could not sit through a Democratic Party meeting. If you know that's not your style, get involved in another way that will still help us achieve the same objective. Don't just feel demoralized and, and dispirited and, and choose to remove yourself from the process because that's how the establishment remains the establishment. You know We need agitators everywhere. So listen right. to your heart, hear
1: your call, and get activated. Leah, thank you so much. Thank you for being there. Thank you for reporting back. Thank you for, uh, you know, for, for being an incredible activist for Bernie. And uh, I am so glad to know you. Um, thank you so very much. And, and know that you are always welcome to come back. Uh, if there's anything new to report, just pop me an email and we'll have you back on the show.
3: That would be great, Karen. It was wonderful talking to you tonight, and I'm really excited about our conversation.
1: Well thank you. And please, um, you know, share it around uh, so that uh uh you know some of the delegates and, and folks uh, that you think might be interested, um, you know, uh, you know, let let people hear our conversation. Thank you, Leah.
3: Well do. Thank you so much, Karen.
1: All right, good night. Good night. Well, listeners, we are about out of time here, and um, I want to thank Leah again for uh, you know, coming on the show and filling us in on uh, you know, all of this uh, great information. It must have been an exciting, uh, bittersweet uh, experience there. Uh, but, you know, it is only the beginning. It is only the beginning. So uh, I am not going to get time uh, to get to my roving reporters' uh, accounts uh, about the Malawi girls uh, taking self-defense classes or the North Carolina voter ID laws. Uh, so I will hold that uh, for next Wednesday, and I will get to it then. Uh, but I would just like to say uh, thank you, my dear listeners, for um, uh, for tuning in tonight and for tuning in every week. and um, you know I'd like to close with um, Nelson Mandela's quote, uh, same one I closed same one I closed with yesterday. May your choices reflect your hopes and not your fears. All right, so as uh, I go off the air tonight uh, in honor of Leah, uh, our warrioress at the DNC, I'm going to go ahead and play Lisa Thiel's a warrior Goddess. Good night your listeners.
0: Warrior Goddess, Warrior Goddess, come to